Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode 39. This is your host, Ben Kern. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Uh, Mike, you've just told me before um, we started recording that you have a cocktail on hand, so I'm guessing uh, you're in the weekend mood already or you're trying to drown your sorrows about something. So uh, how are you, my friend? I'm well, Ben, just in weekend mode. Uh, drown my sorrows, I mean, that's that's been baked in basically the whole year, 2020. It has been a year of uh, sorrow and fuckery. Right now, I feel like I'm playing a game of Where's Waldo, except Waldo is being played by the President of the United States. We just had one of the biggest, if not the biggest, government security breaches in U.S. history, several agencies hacked seemingly by Russian intelligence, including the agency that is in charge of the nuclear stockpile. Not that that's really important. I mean, it's not as important as, say, Joe Biden's 14-year-old dissertation that conservatives have been ripping apart the last few days. But still, it's a little important. Uh, we've got a pandemic that is raging on like never before. We're seeing the the highest number of cases, w- over 200,000 a day. We are seeing 3,400 people a day die here. Just, I mean, we haven't even hit Christmas yet when people are going to be traveling and they're going to be with family and not quarantining beforehand and doing the things that they're not supposed to be doing. So it's it's going to get much worse. We have faltering COVID relief negotiations in Congress that Donald Trump has said fuck all about. The only time he's popping his head up out of his molehill is to complain about the non-existent voter fraud in the election that he lost. So we essentially have an absentee president at the moment. He has no interest in governing, and all he wants to do is whine and bitch and moan and prevaricate, you know, just basically what he's been doing the last four years. Uh, I feel uh, like I should have um, I should be drinking as well. Now you put it, you summarize it like that. No, I I I, I hear you, man. We're in a we're in an absolute. Um, uh, I don't even know what it's a hellscape really at the moment. It really is. Um, it's a, it basically, you could say that the US is a, a failed nation almost at, at, at the moment. Th- this level of sort of um, would you even call it recklessness? I mean, you have to be present to be reckless. He's just completely. He just. He's not there. He's AWOL. You know, it was Obama was um, switched on and responsible until the day he left office. You know, he was. Uh, I, I remember it clearly. Like, you know, he spent the last few weeks of his his time in office, a trying to make everything as Republican proof as possible, uh, as as Donald Trump proof as possible, uh, and be you know very responsive and and responsible as a president should be. But this guy. Uh, of course, is is uh, laying the groundwork for his. I, you know, I think he's laying the groundwork for a twenty twenty four run, or he's going to announce that he's running in twenty twenty four. He's going to pretend he's running in twenty twenty four. So I think that you know this. That's what this is all about. He's basically trying to prime all of his all of his um, cult members into basically completely disregarding the Biden presidency, not recognizing it as a legitimate government so that he can um, continue to sort of um, foment civil unrest uh, and and essentially kind of pave the way for some sort of run in 2024. Or I don't know, who knows? Maybe it's just to get attention. I, I don't know. Um, but with, with this guy, it's always about the grift. It's always about, you know, how am I going to make more money uh, and get more attention for myself? Um, for the for, for the next few months, that's what I think is happening. But obviously, of course, you know, during a pandemic, you know, I mean, there is an argument to be made that the less the guys involved, the better. I mean, do you want Donald Trump to be interfering with the the U.S. pandemic response? You know, it's like, would you rather him do nothing and leave it to Pence and leave it to other people, um, or would you rather him involved? Well, there was actually a report in the Washington Post on Thursday. It said that White House aides had to talk Donald Trump out of demanding stimulus checks in the amount of $2,000. And this is so weird to me because, first of all, based on the negotiations on the Hill right now, it looks like the most individuals are going to get in terms of a stimulus check is $600 per person. And Trump, 
His instincts on this were actually correct. The pandemic is raging on. People need assistance badly. And he has this moment of clarity, according to this report, where he wants $2,000 stimulus checks for everyone. And then his aides talk him out of it, which to me is just, it's, it's mind blowing because what is the motivation there? If you're the, you know, because if Donald Trump somehow gets 2000 bucks for every person in the United States in the next few weeks, that's good politics. That's good politics. And he can say, Hey, I fought a recalcitrant Republican Congress, my own party to get $2,000 for every American. And it's like, he's going to be in a position over the next four years where he might get to play Kingmaker. I mean, we see that Republicans, they're scared of crossing him, even when Trump is on the way out, even when he's a lame duck president. And we see them reluctant to acknowledge that Joe Biden legitimately won this election. Why? Do they, because do they really think that Biden won illegitimately? Of course not, because they're afraid of crossing Trump. And yet, if Trump were to come out and say, I want $2,000 stimulus checks, that puts Republicans in Congress in a tight bind. You know, the ones who are already going on about the national debt and why the, the COVID relief bill, if there is one, can't be too big. Suddenly, if Trump comes out and says, this is what I want, it's more than what you want, but this is how it should be, he's going to put them in a bind. And so more often than not, I would agree with you that having no president is better than having a President Trump. But in this one instance, if this Washington Post report is to be believed, you know, this is a time where you wish that, like, Trump's aides didn't restrain him from once from doing the thing that they didn't want him to do, because in this case, the thing that he wanted to do was actually the right thing to do. Yeah, it's weird that, right? Incredibly rarely, um, Trump actually wants to do something sort of semi-decent. You know, getting people to grand check would be pretty nice right now. But obviously, it's it's very, very rare. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I take your point. I mean, I just... Thank God that this guy is going. You know, I can't tell you how. Can Can you just imagine what it would feel like knowing that we had another four years of this? I've been thinking of this for the last four years, so so I think I have a pretty good idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it hit, you know, I was I was feeling quite down about the. You know, I was like, oh god, here we go. You know, the the Republicans are probably going to control the Senate, and it's going to be another. You know, it's going to be political gridlock, and it's going to be crap. You know, and I was like, you know what? You know what? Let's just think of what the alternative is, or, or was. The alternative would have been another four years of Donald Trump, and that would have been a total catastrophe. That would have been, you know, I, I'm not sure the planet would have survived that. So, yeah, we, I think we've got to look at the the positives here. Yes, um, you know, I think it's going to be. We're, we're going to talk about this. We'll talk about the Senate race, uh, the Senate races um, uh, shortly, but. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there is a there's a you know a fairly good chance that the Republicans are going to maintain control of the Senate and they've got the Supreme Court and they're going to spend all of their time blocking everything that Biden does. So you know it could be you know you could get quite depressed about this, but I think that you've obviously got to look at what what is worse and that Donald Trump was an existential threat to American democracy itself and to just you know and to the planet. So I think that, you know, we've dodged, we've really dodged a bullet there and uh, we've got to try to look at the positive side and I'll take politics as usual over um, any, what we've experienced for the past four years. You know, I, I take boring and gridlocked and like run of the mill kind of GOP um, idiocy uh, and obstructionism. I'll take that. I'll, t- I'll take, I'll take any, of, almost any of it over what we've just experienced. You know, I think that a lot of us have probably got um, PTSD from four years of Donald Trump, particularly those who've had to cover him for a living. You know, I can't tell you how little I've enjoyed covering this guy for the past four years. I just want, you know, you wake up in the morning and you think, oh God, you know what? I'm going to have to cover this guy. I have to cover him. I and mean, we're still covering, we're still covering him and he's, and he's, he lost the election. Uh, you, you know, I, I genuinely look forward to, to doing a podcast with this guy. We don't talk about him, but unfortunately he's still, sort of front and center of US politics right now because he's still president and he's still 
ranting and raving on Twitter about how we lost the election, uh, you know, and, and trying to tear down Biden's presidency before, before it even gets going. So, you know, again, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the other day, Sean Hannity said something like the media will miss Trump when he's gone. And in a way, he's right in terms of the ratings. Yeah, he's got that right. But like you said, mental health, like like mentally. Yeah, Trump is good for ratings, but Trump is not good for the mental health of the people who cover him. Not good for the mental health of the people who consume content about him whether you support him or not if you don't support him if you hate the guy's guts and you're seeing stories about it you know it's gonna piss you off it's gonna raise your blood pressure and even if you do support him you're gonna see it and you're gonna like what you're seeing but what you're seeing is just gonna reinforce all of these just all of these misconceptions you have, like things like, oh, the the election was rigged, right? Like, so you get Trump content. Trump is saying the election was rigged. You That's what you like to hear because you don't want to face the reality that Trump lost the election legitimately. But at the end of the day, that's bad for you because it didn't happen that way. Joe Biden won the election legitimately. Your guy lost, but you're being fed a bunch of bullshit to the contrary. So, yeah, I would like to be done with this guy. I... I really have a feeling, though, he he's he's going to situate himself in such a way post-presidency where, like I said, he's going to be in a position probably to play kingmaker. And no, he won't be as covered as much as he is right now as president, but he will insert himself into the conversation, into the political conversation, and he will have a lot of sway over Republicans. And we've talked about on this show how he basically – is going to be able to freeze the 2024 presidential field, for one thing, because he's not going to make his intentions known. He's going to drag his, uh, drag it out as long as he can to make it into a big, like, basically a reality TV show. And all the people who want to declare, Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley, Josh Hawley, maybe Rand Paul, they're going to have to sit by and just kind of watch what Trump does and maybe make a calculation at some point – Okay, maybe I'll jump in now, even though Trump's not in. They might jump in before Trump has done anything, but they're certainly not going to do anything to piss Trump off. That much is clear. And also, even before then, we have some gubernatorial elections coming up in 2021. We have the midterm elections in 2022. And who knows? He could he could very much be a factor in those. I mean, we've seen he's he's taken aim at Brian Kemp, who is one of the Trumpiest governors in Georgia, Kemp committed the crime of overseeing and certifying a free and fair election in Georgia that saw Joe Biden win those st- that state's 16 electoral votes. And basically, he, you know, Trump is saying that he should be primaried at this point, and it that will probably happen. He will. Kemp will probably be primaried in 2022 by a very, very Trumpy, even Trumpier than Kemp Republican, who's just like Kemp, but the only difference is he comes out or she comes out and says the election was rigged against Trump. Doug Collins, who's a congressman from Georgia, he's probably going to be the guy for that. I think he's the odds-on favorite. But yeah, this is this is going to be it's going to be the, the purity test. You know, was the election rigged against Trump? And if you're running in a Republican primary in most places, you're going to have to say yes, it was. So basically, it's no longer really the Republican Party now; it's the party of Trump. We, I mean, you know, which we've sort of known for quite some time now. To- we have known this for some time that it's the Republican Party is not a conservative party anymore. It's just whatever Trump wants. That's what it is. He is really, truly a cult of personality. And just as an example, we mentioned the stimulus and uh, COVID negotiations at the beginning of this program. One of the Trumpiest senators is uh, Wisconsin's Ron Johnson who's actually up for re-election in 2022. He recently held a hearing in the Senate uh, last week about election irregularities, which I'm going to get to in a moment, but but basically a sham hearing about a sham issue. So before we got on, we're recording this on a Friday, as we usually do. 
Uh, as part of the stimulus negotiations in the U.S. Senate, Josh Hawley, who is a Republican and who likely has an eye to 2024, so he asked unanimous consent on the floor of the Senate to include as part of the bill that the Senate is considering a $1,200 stimulus check for every American adult. And this is this would be six hundred dollars more than the current six hundred dollars that's being being thrown around. And you know, when you ask unanimous consent, it will go in the pending legislation unless another senator objects. Well, in this case, a senator did object, and that was Senator Ron Johnson. And he was giving all of these reasons why it should be it should not be twelve hundred dollars. And he was saying thing he was already worrying about the debt. This is what Republicans do. As soon as a, a Democratic president is going to be incoming, replacing a Republican president, suddenly the national debt matters again. Suddenly budget deficits matter again. They don't give a shit. When Reagan was in office, when H.W. Bush, W. Bush, Trump, doesn't matter how high the national debt goes. Doesn't matter. Tax cut away, war away, (laughs) more of that, please. But as soon as a Democrat gets in there, whoa, we really need to tighten the belt here. And that's exactly what's going on here. So Johnson is citing deficit spending as a reason that why the stimulus check can't be $1,200 uh, for each American. And he was also talking about how tax cuts and deregulation are better ways to stimulate the economy. Now, first of all, I don't believe that. We just had a massive report come out the other day saying that, that, saying that 50 years of trickle-down economics failed to trickle down. No shit. We knew that. A lot of us did anyway. But the fact of the matter, forget about stimulating the economy. People need help now. They need money in their pockets now. They need to pay rent. They need to buy food. They need to make car payments. And maybe they'll have enough left over to buy some modest Christmas gifts for their family. Not that these checks would be available by then, but you get the idea. People need money now. And the idea that Ron Johnson, who is up for re-election in 2022 in a swing state that Trump just lost, is planting his flag on the hill of austerity in the middle of a raging pandemic when people are hurting is just completely bonkers to me, especially when we just had that report that I mentioned that Trump wants higher stimulus checks. Now, granted, he's too lazy to actually push for it, but why Ron Johnson is playing this austerity game is completely mind-boggling. And the other part of this, the, the Ron Johnson thing that kind of boggles my mind is the fact that he is the one casting doubt or one of the people casting doubt on the election. So I mentioned the, the committee hearing he held on these irregularities. He's fueling these election conspiracies, which have in part manifested in that now dismissed lawsuit by Attorney General Ken Paxton of Texas, where he filed a lawsuit to get the results of the presidential election thrown out in several swing states, including Ron Johnson's state of Wisconsin. And so Johnson's been complicit in this like conspiracy mongering. Basically, he's made it clear that, yeah, no, I don't care if uh, the the presidential election results in my own state are thrown out. I don't care if millions of Wisconsinites are disenfranchised by this. You know, no, I think that'd be a good thing because it would mean Donald Trump gets to remain president. Oh, and by the way, also, I don't think people in my state should be getting $1,200 stimulus checks as part of COVID relief. It should be less than that. And again, this guy's up for re-election in two years. I don't know what the calculus is, but it just seems completely insane to me. Yeah, I wonder how many of um, Trump's uh, spending proposals that he uh, he did did he uh, try to block. I wonder how how critical of of was he of Trump's uh, spending plans on the wall. And it's amazing how these Republicans are, are basically they remember their fiscal discipline. Uh, whenever there's a Democrat in power, whenever there's, whenever it's a um, uh, a Democrat, whenever it's a Republican, it's you know you can spend on whatever you want. You can even go, you can go to war and cut taxes at the same time, right? You can you can have a a trillion dollar war, multi like a one point six trillion dollar war, or however much the Iraq war costs, and you can cut taxes at the same time, and that's totally fine. 
You know, you don't need to worry about the deficit. You know, as I think it was Dick, Dick Cheney said, deficits don't matter. As soon as yep. Obama comes into power, as soon as Obama gets into power, the deficits matter again, right? Everything's about about uh, about reducing the deficit and you know cutting wasteful spending. But of course now um, you, you can't you can't give Americans a a much needed stimulus check during a during a pandemic that shut down half of the economy because right. that'd be fiscally irresponsible. Right. I, what we need. And I don't think Biden is the right guy for this as president. But what we need is a a prominent Democrat who, when Republicans protest about deficit spending, when Democrats have the White House, we need a prominent Democrat to say, nope, that's not going to fly. Do not even pretend you care about deficits in the national because you don't. You absolutely don't. And this was one mistake that Obama made in 2009 or 2010. He, he kind of played the Republicans game. He formed the Simpson-Bowles Commission on Deficit Reduction. That ended up going nowhere. But the fact that he even bothered to try to placate Republicans with this deficit, it just showed that like, oh, yes, you know what? You might be on to something. You know, deficit spending is a problem. The national debt is a problem. So we're going to create this commission. And it gave legitimacy to all of their objections about, about spending. You know, and I'm not saying that like deficit spending is not a problem. I'm not saying national debt being at 27 trillion or whatever it's at now is not a problem. But at the end of the day, like this is just a lot of bad faith acting on the part of Republicans. And the fact that they're using this now, at least in Ron Johnson's case, as a reason to prevent Americans from getting much needed relief is absolutely ridiculous. When, like we said, they have no problem cutting taxes for the wealthiest Americans with no way to pay for it. They have no problem waging wars. They have no problem approving like a $740 billion Pentagon budget. You know, they have no problem with any of this. But but the minute you propose something that could actually help an individual, an individual American who desperately needs money to stay in their apartment or house, who desperately needs money to feed themselves. The minute you suggest that we should take not a trickle-down approach by giving the richest people the money, but instead giving the people who need it most, oh, well, no, that we can't have. That we absolutely cannot have. We have to give the tax breaks and the subsidies to the rich people so they can then pee it on down to the have-nots, and they can enjoy, you know, whatever nutrients they can get out of it. Yeah, but this is this is a perpetual problem, really, isn't it? It's it's a sort of a never-ending issue with with conservatives, um, at, at least in America. Is this sort of them pretending to care about deficits? You know, them pretending to care about fiscal discipline. I mean, you know, I just think we could do without all the kind of moral posturing and all the and just let's just. What what the Republican Party stands for tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires, and that's it. They don't give a shit about anything else. They don't care about. They don't. I, I'm sure they don't care about most social issues as well. I mean, I, I bet you most Republicans elected couldn't really care less about about women's reproductive rights. They're not that interested. What they are interested in is passing along tax cuts to the to the people that put them into office. You know, I mean, it's it, you can sort of. You can hardly call them uh, a political party anymore. It's basically a rubber stamp for giant corporations and billionaires. They exist. I mean, look, I'm not saying that the Democrats aren't don't have their faults and flaws, and they're not kind of beholden to the interests of uh, you know big corporations and lobbyists and whatnot. They are. You know, look, the Democratic party is is corrupt you know we know that the american political system is corrupt it, you know the system itself is deeply corrupt um and and completely sort of uh, it's been infected with with um uh, you know lobbying and and uh, special interests you know these super PACs and i mean it's a complete shit show right but you're talking of there, there are just scales right there there is this sort of a kind of uh the Democratic Party, it, it, you know, would be is corrupt, right? It's corrupt. But the Republican Party, you can't even call it. It's beyond corruption, right? It's like they're post-corruption, where they don't even pretend 
to, to sort of, at least the Democrats pretend. At least they say, okay, look, you know, yeah, we're taking money from, you know, X, Y, and Z, but we, we are proposing some sort of, um, some actual policies and solutions. The Republicans, they don't even bother with that. They just say, yeah, we don't really have a healthcare policy. We don't have a climate change policy. We don't have any policies at all. Our policies are let's cut regulation and cut taxes. And that's it. They, they, there's no thought to it at all anymore. They don't even, it was like um, uh, Trump's healthcare plan, which was the funniest thing, you know, for four years, they, they, were, they were ready to release their healthcare plan, but they never had one because they didn't care because it was never about that. It was about ramming through their tax cuts which is the only reason Mitch McConnell I believe um, covered for Trump is because he felt that he could get a lot of um, uh, tax cuts passed he could get a lot of regulation and get a lot of tax cuts passed uh, and that's what they got so it, it's sort of it, it's very strange now that we're at this this period in, in, in history where they don't even bother to pretend to have a policy about anything anymore well, Republicans don't have a health care plan, and they've had 11 years to propose an alternative to Obamacare. They've never done this. They don't have a health care plan for the same reason they don't have a plan to address a lot of other pressing issues in this country. And that is they fundamentally don't believe in the ability of government to solve problems. They don't believe in government, like, at all. But and you, this is one of the you... reasons – wait, just one last point – this is one of the reasons, one of the sticking points in the current COVID relief negotiations, and McConnell has really stood fast on this. So he stood firm on no aid to state and local governments who badly need it because they've had to expend their own resources during this pandemic, and they're going to have to deal with a massive shortfall in tax revenue because people are getting laid off. So they just fundamentally don't believe in government and any opportunity they have to chip away at its ability to help people, they're going to take that opportunity. I, I, I agree. Um, I just wonder whether you, do you think that they fundamentally don't believe in government or they just, it's more, I think it's not even philosophical at this point. I just think that they're just openly corrupt. They just didn't, they believe in government. So they'll, they don't care about, uh, you know, it was like during the, the crash in 2008, they were quite happy to use the government to bail out the banks. Uh, there wasn't too much resistance within the Republican Party about bailing out the banks, um, other than from the sort of Tea Party wing. There, there's a kind of li the libertarian wing of the Republican Party uh, actually that ha has some sort of kind of at least philosophical, they're coherent, they're philosophically coherent, right? They have some sort, they, they believe in something. I just think the majority of Republicans now, the mainstream Republicans, don't believe in anything. It's not that they don't believe in government, they just don't care. They just, that's not what they're interested in. They'll use the government if it benefits them. But if it doesn't benefit them, if it doesn't directly line their pockets and, or line their donors' pockets, they're not interested. They don't care. I think it's beyond philosophy now. You know, it, they, they're sort of completely without any kind of guiding principles whatsoever. You're, you're right in the sense that there's no deep philosophy at work. And to address this problem, of COVID relief, it would require them to do something. Or to address this problem of healthcare, for example, providing an alternative to Obamacare, it would require them to do something and, and have government. I, th I do think at some level, they are skeptical of government. They don't believe in government. I, I think they believe in power. I think they believe in their own power and they will do anything to advance their ability to exercise it. But as far as government goes, I think it does tie in, you know, at, at least at a rhetorical level, what they have been telling their constituents for decades. It goes back to what Reagan said. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And I think that has done a lot of work in convincing a lot of Americans that just the government can't help them, or at the very least, they should be skeptical of government when it tries to do anything, like, for example, try to provide them with affordable health care and tries to you know, restrict HMOs uh, and tries to tell HMOs that they can't discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions. I think that's very deeply ingrained in a in the brains of a large chunk of the country. And so when 
you know, when I say that Republicans are are looking to destroy government, I'm saying that like I view it just as an extension of that Reaganite principle. And I do think it's very much like ingrained in Republican DNA, even if it's not like a coherent philosophical, ideological justified thing. I just think it's like something that at this point they're just going through the motions with. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. That that that, that definitely makes sense. I think it's one of the reasons why I think Trump Trumpism um you know was potentially so successful, I think, was because I, I do think that the American public has sort of caught onto this, right? That the the GOP had had really try to, um, uh, you know, they're increasingly using social issues as a wedge. You know, Karl Rove famously in 2004 um, uh, did the whole thing about the constitutional amendment to gay marriage, right? Realizing that basically the Iraq war was a complete disaster and people, Americans weren't really like Bushonomics was like, it was a bit of a failure actually Bush's first term in office in terms of particularly his, his um, economic policies. You know, they were really, really not popular at all. Uh, same with Ronald Reagan um, and same with Margaret Thatcher in the UK. Very, very unpopular economic policies. And you can kind of like mask that with, with, with um, you know, using things like abortion and uh, gay marriage and things like that. You can, you can do that for a certain while. But I think at some point, the public kind of cottons on to the fact that you are, your economic policies are, are incredibly harmful to the majority of the population. And I think that perhaps one of the reasons why Trump became popular was because he was, you know, he wasn't saying that, you know, he was, he was saying something else. He was like, there was a kind of an economic nationalism almost, you know, it's almost, um, you know, you, everyone was going to get free healthcare, you know, he was going to stop all these, these, these um, free market trade deals, um, you know, it's going to protect American workers and things like that, you know, um, I mean, it was all complete nonsense. I mean, he was lying through his teeth. He, he didn't have any idea what he was offering at the time. Um, but he ran as a kind of a populist and a nationalist. And 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 I think that that was, it was a sort of a, it's like an indication that the population has sort of changed, right? And, and that's why I think Republicans without Trump are in a bit of trouble because um, that's where the mood of the party is or the mood of the voters are. Right? Are they the economic policies Republicans have been offering for the past 50 years are just not popular anymore? They're really, really not popular anymore. Um, and yet, you know, that's that's what's on offer. They don't. They have no new policies. They have new, no no ideas. Um, nothing. I mean, it's just the same. Let's deregulate and cut taxes. You know, and I don't think people are buying it anymore. You know, that that's that's my sense of it. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens in a post-Trump era. Like, um, who, who? I think Marco Rubio actually spoke about this. Marco Rubio um, said that you know he he recognised that that's a problem that that it, in in uh, the Republican Party today um, that basically the the average Republican um, does want the government to do something for them. You know, so it, we're, is it, I think we're in a very interesting place. And I, and I don't see, you know, it'd be interesting to see what kind of Republican emerges that can kind of capture the attention of, of the uh, of Trump Republican supporter, which is basically ninety percent of the Republican Party. There will be people who object to what you just said when you say that Republicans have unpopular policies. I think that's true. They have unpopular policies. Just look at the way they treat voting in this country. Whenever they take control of state legislatures and governor's mansions, what do they do? They try to make it harder for people to vote. They try to limit mail-in voting. They try to limit the number of drop boxes in various counties across whichever state it is. Voter ID checks, signature requirements, they try to make it harder to vote. And so we have to ask ourselves, if Republican policies were actually popular. If what they were pushing actually resonated with voters, why would these measures even be necessary? In fact, they would make it easier to vote because if their if their policies are just so gosh darn hitting home with your average Wisconsinite or Michigander, or Pennsylvanian or Floridian, 
Why the hell do they have to make it harder to vote? That's because they know that the more people that vote, the worse they tend to do in elections. And one would think if they actually had good policies and that they could explain these wonderful, trickle-down, Reagan-inspired policies to the people, surely they wouldn't have to do anything to restrict voting. They just encourage people, go vote, go vote, vote for us. We got the good stuff. We got the policies. But they don't, as you pointed out. They're wildly unpopular. They've lo- the Republican Party has lost seven out of the last eight popular votes in the presidential elections. Routinely, Democratic candidates in Congress and Senate, collectively, they get more votes than the Republican candidates. Sometimes, not always, but pretty often they do. And yet we have this situation where because we have an electoral college system which is just the the last way you should you should set up your way for choosing the head of government you know and as much as conservatives like to complain about oh coastal elites and hollywood liberals controlling the country the constitution has given them an outsized influence within this country in terms of how the president is picked, in terms of the composition of the Senate. And just, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this minoritarian rule. And even when Democrats win legitimately, as Joe Biden has, for example, they still can't accept it. They still say there are voting irregularities. They still cast doubt on the election. Ron Johnson mentioned him earlier, like holding those committee hearings. You know, he, he's been one of these senators, along with like Rick Scott and Josh Hawley and a bunch of other ones, they've basically, since the election was called for Biden, or even before that, they've said, oh, we're seeing weird things in Nevada, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. We're seeing voting irregularities with no evidence whatsoever. And by the way, it's very cynical on their part because they know this was a free and fair election. They know there was no widespread voter fraud here. They know that Joe Biden won the election legitimately. But they're uh, trying to appease their orange cult king by saying that something is fishy about this election. And then what do they do? So after they're done telling all their constituents there's something fishy about this election, they come back and they say, well, all these constituents I'm hearing from back home, they're telling me that they think that there was something off with this election. So I think we should look into this. And it's like, okay, first of all, they think this because this is what you've been telling them. You've been telling them this, and now you're using their delusion that's been inspired by you, driven by you. Now you're seizing upon and saying, aha, well, there must be a there there. And second, just because a bunch of people believe something doesn't mean there's any merit to it. This is a classic logical fallacy, argumentum ad populum, appeal to the masses. Like, oh, all these people believe it, so therefore there must be something to it. No, that's not how it works. These guys know what they're doing. They're bad faith actors. They are just throwing this slop to their constituents because they know they're going to eat it up. And then they're holding it up as, as quote unquote evidence for how the election was rigged, or at the very least, there were some irregularities. Again, all in an attempt to appease Trump's ego. And, and this, is, this is what it all comes back to at the end of the day. And it's just really pathetic what the Republican Party has turned into. Yeah, it is. And it, it just it also makes doing any talking about anything else almost impossible because it's clearly the, the, the it's clearly the most serious and important issue of the day. Right. Is the sort of is the utter insanity of the Republican Party. The fact that they are genuinely really, 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 really quite crazy. Other than that, there is, I mean, you know, you could talk about the kind of internal political fights going on in the DNC, and they're sort of mildly interesting, you know, and you could talk about um, that some some of the corruption in in, uh, in the DNC, which I'm sure there's some of, and it's, you know, it's, you know, some of it's bad, and it's not that great, but you're talking about, there's just the scale of these, of scales of magnitude here, right? Like, and the Republican Party is just sort of, they're so insane, and so crazy, and it's so important that they're kept out of office at all costs, that there is just nothing more to really talk about. That's the only thing that really matters right now. Uh, Noam Chomsky, who I don't agree with on much at all, 
right? Who I, but I, I nevertheless, I respect his opinions. I, resp- I, I think he's a very incredibly intelligent guy. But he was busy before, you know, he thinks the entire political system is is corrupt and, and immoral and wrong. And But he was out there begging people to vote for Joe Biden, basically saying, if you don't, it's not certain that the planet will recover, right, from another four years of Republican rule. Right, these people are insane. It's a, it's like they're a, it's a terrorist party almost, a radical a radical nationalist party that is basically, as far as you can kind of tell, it's it's dedicated to incinerating what's what's left of our natural environment. That that's the only thing that you can sort of. You know, they, they they seem to be positively gleeful about speeding up global warming, speeding up. You know, um, I mean, why would you? run on trying to ensure that the oil and gas industry expands at a time of, of, of incredibly rapid and destructive climate change, right? They're not just trying to slow down efforts to curb global warming and to curb, you know, curb emission, um, CO2 emissions. They are trying to speed up global warming. They're trying to speed the process up itself. It's just sort of insane how dangerous these people are. It's the most dangerous, you know, Chomsky said it's the most dangerous, the the modern Republican Party is the most dangerous organization in human history. And and I have to agree with him there. I have to agree that these people, that you you would have to say that they are the most, it it is, they're the most dangerous organization that I can, that I've ever heard of. I mean, yeah, you could say the, 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 the Nazis and, you know, there's been lots of, um, you know, Stalinism in, in Russia. But the, the thing is, is back then, the state of all life on the planet was not, you know, that wasn't at risk back then. You know, yes, the, the Holocaust and, and um, you know, the, what happened under uh, under Stalin was at, at, obviously uh, utter atrocities. But it wasn't the future of all life on the planet that they were threatening. But the GOP, they may not be as, as um, anti-human as, uh, as the Nazi party and as Stalin, but they pose more of a threat to all of biological life on planet Earth, I would, I would argue. I think you can make that argument fairly persuasively. All right, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think you can make that argument persuasively. The problem is the lack of an anthropomorphized villain with climate change. There's no human or group of humans you can point to. I mean, yeah, I guess you could point to polluters, but that's like very abstract. In a way, climate change, it's, it's kind of like the coronavirus. Like there's no personification of the harm, of the danger, of the threat to humanity. Whereas when it's a person, whether it's like the Nazis or whether it's Al-Qaeda, when they're doing harm to you, there is something about human nature that makes us more responsive to that danger. It's other humans coming after our group, like one tribe coming after another. And now it's like, ah, we got to go get that tribe. We got to stop them. We got to eliminate them. Whereas if it's a virus that you can't see, or if it's climate change that we're doing to ourselves, it's not as it's not as sexy as a villain as like Nazis or Al Qaeda terrorists. And it's just I don't know what it is. Like there's something about human beings that, you know, when they're done wrong by other human beings, they're more likely to act decisively. As 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 opposed to some unseen enemy, which is what we have in the form of a virus or or climate change. Like, yes, climate we can change, see yeah. we can see the effects. We can see the effects, but we can't see the actual thing that's behind it in the way that we can see other human beings who are doing us harm. I think that's 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 certainly fair. I mean, you know, it's like I follow Laura Ingram on Twitter. And I mean, it's just, oh, I don't know why I do it to myself. I should probably stop doing it to myself. It's really terrible. I mean, she, she's a really terrible human being. I mean, I, I, you know, she really is an appalling human being. She spends most of her time attacking people like you know anthony fauci and healthcare officials and mocking liberals and mocking democrats for taking the virus seriously and for having lockdowns and you just think like if the if the virus was a brown person you know you you would be all over this right you would be, you know what i mean it would be the biggest right. threat you'd ever seen do you know it, what i mean but, yeah this this gets back to a point i made a few months ago like if we wanted republicans to take this virus seriously we should have called it mohammed 19 but but yeah, you're right. Like, you know, brown person bad, right? right. Is like the easiest way 
is the easiest way to get the Republican base to, you know, support some type of action you want to take to like make people safer or whatever it is sadly yeah but but like global warming that threatens to eradicate all life on planet earth or at least the entire human species you can't take that seriously because obviously you know it's an abstract concept really at least to to them it's just you know you 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 don't see science you can't see science you know you're not you're not around even though if someone shows you the ice caps melting you know what I mean? Usually because it's on Nat Geo or or, or uh, it's reported by CNN, it, you know it's not serious. It, it, you can't take you can't take it as a legitimate threat because it's uh, you know it's it's liberal propaganda. So it's just bizarre the the way that this the you know issues are framed between. You don't have this in in the UK, for example. In the UK, it, but you know both sides of the political spectrum recognise global warming as a catastrophe. Yeah, you know, they both take it incredibly seriously and believe that you know the you know you, they might differ on policy, you know on how to how to go about um, dealing with the issue, but um, yeah, they don't they don't disagree that it's real. Uh, in fact, the, the, as much as I dislike the Boris Johnson government, they take climate change incredibly seriously. They take all, you know, it, it's um, they're about to embark on a radical transformation of, of agriculture in the UK and how farming subsidies work, right, to make sure better land management use and, um, and to have a kind of regenerative farming practices, right? You, you, you know, this is a conservative government, so. It's well, conservative something. conservative in the UK and Europe means something a lot different from what conservative means uh, in the United States, at least in, in Western Europe. In Western Europe, conservative means somebody who believes that every citizen should have health care. Not so here in the United States. You know, a conservative in Western Europe, as you pointed out, means somebody who believes the climate change is real and that human beings are contributing to it and that drastic action needs to be taken very soon. Here in the United States, not so much. It's, it's, uh, it's as, as I said, you know, the Republican Party is, again, is a unique threat. Um, a, a unique threat to uh, human existence, to to all life on planet Earth, yeah, and, it, and again, it makes it difficult to talk about anything else. Um, so, uh, sp- speaking of which, just more Republicans, um, and whether they're going to control the Senate or not. Uh, what is your take on the um, on the on the Georgia runoff? Uh, do we know anything? Can we know anything? Should we trust the polls? Uh, that show Warnock slightly. At last I looked, Warnock was slightly ahead, Ossoff slightly behind. Should we be worried? Should we be hopeful? I, I, I don't know. I give up. I'm not optimistic. I haven't looked at the polls because <laughs> they weren't that great last time. Like, what if I look at a poll? Like, can I honestly put any stock in what it says? What I here's here's what I know without looking at a poll. I know that the spread in both of those races is pretty likely to be within the margin of error, number one. And number two, even if it weren't in the margin of error, again, I can't. I can't take it very seriously. We, you know, we analyzed like almost 10 Senate races a few months ago, and we went over the polls, and they were all either toss-ups or that was like lean Republican, lean Democrat. And you'd think, okay, this should like break half and half. Republicans maybe win half the toss-ups, Democrats win the other half of the toss-ups. And it just didn't happen that way. The polling was wrong. And I'm not optimistic because Democrats just generally they don't they don't perform well, you know, especially in the Georgia runoffs. I you know like I know there have been several runoff elections in Georgia. I can't remember the last time a Democrat won one. So I'm just not optimistic, you know. Hopefully, I, but but it shouldn't honestly it shouldn't be that close because you've got real credible accusations of insider trading against both Republicans. Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, and it's just not landing. And it it makes me wonder if when people hear something like this, that two U.S. senators were trading on knowledge that they 
acquired at because they were U.S. senators, like pandemic related information, and they were trading accordingly. They were dumping stock, they were acquiring stock, you know, in pharmaceutical companies. In David Perdue's case, he got a heads up from a company, I think is Cardolytics. He got a heads up from uh, one of his old former board members or an employee there because he used to sit on the board or he was he worked there and he got a heads up saying there're going to be big changes coming soon and so Purdue sold his stock the changes came the stock fell Purdue rebought the stock at that lower level and then it went back up again so but what i'm worried about is that like regular voters are just seeing this voters are just seeing this and they've now become like so cynical and and not unjustifiably they've become so cynical that they now expect like a certain level of corruption among their elected officials and what it will come down to maybe is what people are offering them like what can you offer me in terms of jobs in terms of health care in terms of other issues i care about like yes you're you're a corrupt self-dealing douchebag i've come to expect that now of all my elected officials but if you're going to be a corrupt self dealing douchebag what are you going to do for me like and i i feel like that may be where we are as an electorate in a lot of cases and of course but the answer is in in the the georgic situation is Ossoff and Warnock, they're going to do more for their constituents than Purdue and Leffler. But it all comes down to like, what can you convince your constituents, your potential constituents, what you can deliver on? So you asked me a very simple question, Ben, and this is a very long-winded answer. I'm not optimistic, but but that's how I see it. I, I'm not so sold on the, um, the state polling. I think state polling is, sti- is still problematic. Um, it varies a lot from state to state. Although, you know, look, Biden was not favoured to win in Georgia. You know, they they misread that. The the polls showed um, Trump as the favourite in Georgia uh, and Biden sprung the upset. So, you know, there is that. I think potentially, you know, it could be, you know, it, we, we could be in a, in, a, in a situation where, again, that's what's happening. I just don't know. Obviously, you know, if you can donate to the race, I, I'm going to be donating... Uh, try and do what we can to help. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a 50-50 at the moment. I, I think I'm 50-50. But boy, would it make a difference if they both won? It would be it would be amazing. You know, that would be like a true. You know, then Biden would really, really would have a lot more wiggle room over the next couple of years to to actually get something done. But look, on on that note, I think we'll leave it there. We try. Well, you know, there we go. I left on a on a on a 50-50 note, not a positive note, but a 50-50. I hope everybody is well and everyone's enjoying the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider becoming a Banter member. Uh, you can sign up. You get 50% discount on the link below wear a mask if you're going to do christmas uh, with family uh, quarantine uh, look after yourself stay safe it's very dangerous out there at the moment so that's my psa for, for the day mike any anything from you don't take shit from anybody all right thanks everyone <laughs>